Welcome to the Matea Murdo podcast, where we're delving into all things United Nations, the family, and politics. Let's go. So today's podcast is all about America. Is it the new Roman Empire? Are we on the same trajectory as pre-fall of the Roman Empire? And yes, I'm aware there is many little falls along the way. I'm talking about the complete fall of the Roman Empire. Um, but I wanted to talk about this because a lot of people are saying that America is headed in the same trajectory. And I think, yes, that's a possibility, but I also wanted to provide a different perspective for you. And especially for my younger listeners, I'm sure you saw that trend on TikTok or Instagram where there's like sisters or girlfriends, they would ask their brothers and their boyfriends, even their dads, how much they thought about the Roman Empire. And at least for what they showed on camera, the majority of these these boys or men they said that they frequently actually pondered the topic. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I decided to ask a few of the men in my life that same question. And it was kind of surprising and actually kind of in a pleasure of mine that they said that they actually did think about it quite frequently, which was phenomenal. And I often think about the the decadence of the Roman Empire and how America has implemented all of these similar policies throughout time. And they're also similar to what happened in the Roman Empire before it fell and was knocked off as the world superpower. So there's a lot of different things that occurred policy-wise or even just in culture and society. And I wanted to go through a couple of them. I'm going to do them kind of a bullet point form for you, but then expound a little bit on specific issues. So one of them was vast swaths of the population in the Roman Empire lived on doles or government assistance, or what we now know as welfare. And there's a lot of debate around what kind of welfare it was, but as new migrants or immigrants were coming and settling or being usurped into the empire, many of the poor and even others were going on government assistance. And I've seen a ton of left-wing media and and many others actually come out and say this is not true. But when you go back and really study it out, when you really do research on it, you will see that there was vast swaths of the population that did live on government assistance. And you look at now today, many countries have large portions of their populations on government aid. And it's it's a terrifying thing because as you start to compensate, can it be used for good? I do believe that government assistance can actually be used for good. That is something that I will depart from my conservative friends on. But I also know human beings and human nature, and I know that the system is highly abused. Because when you don't live upright and pure, you're going to compromise. And God speaks very clearly, very plainly about work being a blessing to us. It's a blessing for us as well. And that's something that I think I I could do easily do a podcast on that at some point someday. But when you choose to go against something that the word of God says is very clear and explicit, you're going to land in a very dangerous position and possibly drag others with you. And when it comes to people not working and instead choosing to receive funds from the government, which is actually your fellow taxpayer, it does not something only to your spirit and your human psyche, but it actually places a burden upon others. And I think that's something that we, you know, everybody talks about 
the greater good and doing things for others. But yet, when you look at everything going on in the world and all the talking points being floated around, this is something that most people are not talking about when it comes to welfare or people who go on to government assistance and yet could actually be working. They have the abilities, the function to go and work. And back in the Roman Empire, again, it wasn't half the population, but there were enough people who came into the country and lived off of government assistance, placed a burden upon the system itself. Now, something else that I wanted to talk about more and just a little bit more in depth anyway, was their open border policy. And anybody who's in America, they will know exactly where I'm going with this. Because during the Roman Empire and their expansion, they allowed for many different groups of people to start taking over land within the empire as well as taking jobs. This, again, could be very beneficial. But again, that human nature comes into play. Coming from Canada, where political parties tout diversity as our strength, and I'm clearly doing air quotes, which you cannot see, that quote always throws me back to the lessons this period of time teaches us. Yet far too many aren't aware of this lesson, and that is how on mass immigration and migration policies of various groups of people with cultures and ideologies that are completely in contrast to that of our own. Diversity cannot be our strength. And it may take time, but societies without social cohesion, they do fall to ruin, whether that's from things happening within her borders or external to her borders. Because there are many different cultures, but not every culture is equal. And that's going to offend some people, but it's the truth. That's not to say that multi-ethnic as opposed to multicultural societies can't flourish because many most certainly have, but they have flourished because countries have maintained standards for those dwelling within their country. And for example, assimilation, it really doesn't seem to be upheld or as a necessary thing in Canada or several European nations. And I can guarantee you that just as we're currently witnessing throughout Europe, as populations begin to segment themselves based upon their own ideology and their own values and their own cultures, social cohesion becomes impossible. I always point to Sweden. I always tell people to look at Malmo, Sweden. You can start looking at London, England. You can start the machete attacks that are justified by specific people groups. And without me being completely explicit, you know what I'm saying. But you can look at all throughout Europe, the abuse of the system is happening en masse. And this is not to speak against immigration. I am all for it. But it has to be done in a way that national security is upheld and the best interest of the country, not just in the interim, but in the long term is upheld. Canada brings in hundreds of thousands of people every year now under Justin Trudeau. And it's placing a burden upon the taxpayers of Canada. And I, I remember talking when I was working on Parliament Hill, I remember talking with immigrants who had moved 20, 30 years ago into Canada and had gone through the legal processes or paying taxes. And now they were frustrated because they had to pay for a bunch of migrants who were coming in and taking advantage of the system. So again, not every culture is equal and social cohesion is essential to maintaining the strength of a nation. Doesn't mean you can't have diversity in different ways. It doesn't mean that you can't have a multi-ethnic society because those are actually good and healthy. To have a multicultural society places you in a dangerous position and that lends back to an open border policy. And all of this should be a primary area of concern for our politicians. Regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, the primary function and mission of the federal government, at least, is national security. 
It's the defense of the nation. And that's not just from outside threats, it's from inside threats. So immigration not only becomes a national security issue, it has become even more so one over the past couple decades. And I was reading some, I think it was the New York Times came out with an article, and there's several others out there who reported similar statistics and numbers. But what was fascinating to me is how many terrorists who are currently on United States terrorist watch list have come across the, the U.S. border. And it's not, I think it was 700 and I want to say 32 in the last fiscal year. And it's September 30th, so obviously more have come in since then. But what surprised me was that they weren't just coming in from the southern border. They were also coming in from the northern border. I think there's like 484 terrorists on the watch list that came in through Canada. I know I know for a fact, because you've reached out to me, I won't mention your names, but those politicians who listen to this podcast and who reach out to me, I've warned you. I've warned other people. I've said it on Twitter. I've, I've made it very publicly known that Canada at some point in time will become a security threat to United States. And when I saw that statistic, when I saw those numbers come out, 484 people. How bizarre. But yet at the same time, it's not when you're, when the Canadian government under Trudeau is shipping in hundreds of thousands of people from cultures who stand ideologically opposed to all that we hold dear. Now, speaking of national security as a whole, another factor that led to the Roman Empire falling was the government's involvement in wars and the cost to the empire in terms of life and finances. And and on this topic, that is with regards to America, the U.S. is by far the most involved country in foreign wars, period. And it's costing Americans' lives and finances. And I think a lot of foreign wars at this point in time, but foreign aid, period. Because foreign aid sometimes actually goes to funding wars abroad, <laughs> war efforts abroad. And I mean, I'm not going to say too much on that because I don't want this podcast to be taken down. But we have to be very cognizant of how governments actually work. It's not just about being involved in a foreign war and financing a war effort. Foreign aid is a huge portion of that. And I would encourage you to go listen to my other podcast, Feminist Foreign Policy. It's not specifically about national security, but it intertwines all the same. Now, to distract us from everything that our governments are doing, just like they did back when Rome was falling. But great coliseums, great places of entertainment were built to distract people. And I don't think I actually have to go too much into this to explain all that was and the similarities to what are now. In terms of distractions, entertainment comes in all different forms. It looks different through every single decade entertainment seems to change in terms of how you obtain it, how you intake it, and even what it is. But they, they did want to distract the people and you know, it's very simple and basic, but when I was younger and it hit me, a TV, okay, TV means television, okay, television, they're literally trying to tell you a vision and and every single program, which again is like that lingo, if they're programming you to think a certain way or they're putting seeds into you or trying to deposit things into you to cast a vision before you. And if we get so distracted by what's happening in the entertainment sphere or even in the political sphere, which is another form of entertainment nowadays, which I think we should demolish that whole way of thinking about politics. But that being said, people are so distracted by, through entertainment that they aren't paying attention to what's really going on in the world. And if you are, this is this was one of my issues is I, I went straight out of high school into, into working in, into government in Canada. And so I never had a job outside of government or politics. So to, to try to 
understand how people didn't pay attention to what was happening. It's so important, so pressing. It affects everybody's lives. I was like, why aren't people doing things? And my mom would be like, no, like understand that people have lives. But just as people have lives, we're called to live purpose-driven lives. We're here on purpose, for purpose. And we're not here to be entertained. We can take entertainment, yes. But don't be so distracted that you don't live a purpose-filled life and pay attention to what really matters. And that's not all politics, but politics is an issue that we should heed more attention towards. And again, like I said at the top of this segment, whilst the empire didn't fall in a day, it was essentially death by a thousand cuts. And guess who are the ones speaking out against the decadence of the time? I'll give you two seconds. One, two. All right, if you didn't answer it correctly, sorry, but whatever. It was Christians. So guess who are the ones who were put in the middle of the rings of entertainment, aka the Colosseums? The Christians were. And who are the ones who are speaking out against all the various forms of the ideological and the literal physical invasion of our countries today? Christians are. And it's fascinating for me because at the end of the of the fall, right, Rome really crumbled. They accepted two different things and rejected something else. One, they accepted and normalized same-sex relations, and it ran rapid. Secondly, they accepted all religions and rejected Christianity. And that's going to be controversial with a whole other slew of people. Do I care? I think at this point you know me. No, I don't care. But it is important for us to understand. My younger brother actually spoke something that I really liked. He said, history doesn't repeat itself. It actually rhymes. I said, yeah, I kind of like that. And it's true. These aren't exactly the same situations in the exact same period of time, but there is a very strong parallel between the two of them, between what happened during the fall and what we're experiencing now here today in America. Now, the enemy isn't just at the door anymore. We have to get past that. We can't be mindless of that. It's actually being welcomed in on a plethora of fronts, and it's not just by the government's Various denominations are ushering in trans, so-called transgender priests and an absolute perversion to the church, but also, but again, through entertainment, like I already explained. And this is a part of the ideological invasion that's happening within our borders. So this is like a Trojan horror situation. But then we look and there's this physical invasion happening at our borders. And this isn't just America. If you look at the statistics of people flooding into European nations, which some nations are going to crack down on now, thank God. But it's no longer mere migration. It, it's truly an invasion. And if for anybody who wants to contest that, just go look up the definition of invasion. Again, may think that this is pretty extreme, but it is our reality. You can't just go by what your political party, whether Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, labor, whatever says about the situation, you have to look into what is actually happening yourself and have some self-determination. Don't just go by the talking points of your political party. Now, that out of the way, we actually can guard and defend our nations against what's happening. We all have an innate desire, and I know this is kind of shifting gears, but just follow me. We all have this innate desire to worship, and in a society of ease and decadence, God almost becomes irrelevant. He's no longer needed. And I'm not saying living a life of ease and decadence means that you're not going to serve the Lord. It means that you have to be even more so intentional in serving him. But where we see all around us is the pursuit of the desires of the flesh. It becomes a subconscious norm to pursue the meaningless over that which is purposeful. And holding ourselves to God's standards keep us sharp. It keeps us grounded. And it develops us in such a way that speaks to all those around us. And... 
I know it's like, oh, Matei, you just like list, you have like the good news report on Thursdays and now you're like talking like a regular conservative or everything's like a downer. No, this is where I break from <laughs> the ranks of conservatives. And I'm going to speak very positively now because I see that conservative values are on the rise yet again in America. And this is a point that we should be quite pleased about, quite excited about. And I say that because the percentages of young people who are actually desiring marriage and family right now is soaring. And these are encur- this is encouraging and, and it's very needed, but they're not enough to signal the restoration of this nation or any nation of that matter. I remember working back in government and having all these policy discussions when it hit me that it was the hearts of men that first needed to change if society was to actually follow suit. And that policy wasn't going to change the hearts of men. Only Jesus could. And regardless of what you may think or say, Republicans cannot save this country. No conservative around the world can save their nation. They can assist, yes, in upholding justice, which God loves. But many in the inner workings, really, of the parties are in collusion with those on the other side of the aisle anyway. So don't put your trust in them. Government is merely a delegated authority. They don't hold the power. They didn't give us our rights. God did. And so often, and so often we look to the government as the place where change is going to happen. And I've noticed it really quite a lot here in America and in Canada, but the change in societies actually happens when we humble ourselves before God. And he says, as a guarantee that he will hear us, that's number one, and that should bring you a lot of comfort. And number two, that he will heal our land. Again, another point of, of comfort. And I don't believe that has solely to do with our governments being restored. But yet again, we look as t- to the government as the only place in, in societies that needs restoration in order for us to all flourish again. No, everything begins with the home. And even past the home, everything begins with you and me humbling ourselves. And understand this, that politics is always downstream from culture anyway. So in order to shift even the culture, we need a revival within the home. For the next movie producer that could have, I don't even know what the awards or the accomplishments are really of Tony's? Here's that music. I don't even know what the awards are. But all these stupid awards that they hand out for movies and films or whatever, some of them are very beautiful. I'll give them that. And very well done. And I have even movie producers as my friends, but they all produce really great content. That being said, if we want to change culture, we need to raise godly children who will have a mindset, a worldview, where they will enter into that sphere, whether it's government, whether it's entertainment, regardless of what it is. And they will take a stand, and like we're talking about entertainment, that they will actually create content that will help people think, and it will indeed shift culture and then affect politics. But it all begins with how we are raising children in the home, how a mother and father are fostering their marriage, how they're serving one another, how their children are seeing them serve one another. And people think it's so boring that it comes down to parents, how they raise their children, even how you get married and how you have children and you go about the mon- seemingly mundane things of life. But those things actually produce fruit. God didn't put Adam and Eve together and have that modeling of husband and wife and children for nothing or just for that period of time. Anything that God created was meant to bear fruit. It was meant to produce. So what is your home producing? What is your life producing? What is your relationship with God producing? And we have to, that's the most granular part of all of this, is that it has to begin with humbling yourself before God. And it really does point all of this to the significance of our lives. It isn't found in what the government is or isn't doing. It's not found in what society says about us. It's found in our obedience to following the voice of God. And if you're called into the political realm like I have been, 
then you better pray up and then step up. And if you're called to work in your home, you have to do the same. If you're called to be an accountant, be the best one there is. Be obedient to the voice of God because we don't have to see our nation end as the Roman Empire did. We don't. What we actually need is a refocusing. And that comes really by evaluating what our priorities are. And sometimes that can be an uncomfortable place to put ourselves in because we have to be very brutally honest with who we are and where we're at. But once we work through that crucial stage with the Lord, because you have to do it with the Lord. If you do it by yourself, you're just going to feel a bunch of condemnation and shame, and then you'll be a pit of despair. But if you do it with the Lord, you're going to have a game plan after. You're going to gain a clear vision of what your next steps are, and then you'll be in alignment with God's will for your life. And not only will we see ourselves change, that was one of that's one of the coolest experiences when other people start commenting on things changing in your life where they notice something great that you're doing or or shift an attitude or whatever and you know it's because you and the Lord you let the Lord penetrate your heart and work on you. That's one of the best feelings in the world. So not only do we start to see that change in us, which is encouraging, but then you start to see the things around you change because your perspective changes, how you talk changes, how you act, it, everything changes about you and that starts affecting and rubbing off on people all around you. And in in our current society, just as in the Roman Empire, people are being groomed in every single which way. You just look at the obesity rates happening in this nation. It's crazy, but everybody is being groomed for comfort. But it's only temporary. If you actually look at it, it's purely temporary comfort. It's not long-standing. And we actually weren't made for comfort. We were made to be comforted. That's why we were given the Holy Spirit. He is called the comforter for a reason. We weren't made to be comfortable. Jesus clearly tells us in his word that that we will be persecuted. That doesn't sound like it's very comfortable. I, I've experienced the North American version of persecution on like the most minor of scales. And it's not comfortable. It wasn't comfortable when I saw my name flashing in newspapers globally and the stories with my name and because of what I tweeted out went viral. That's not comfortable. And the slander and all the crazy things that happen from that, it's not comfortable, you guys. And that's like the bare minimum of what people face. There's people in African nations who are being slaughtered by by the thousands because they profess Christ as Lord. So we weren't made to be comfortable. We were made to stand out. If you are salt, you season all that you are around. And if you are light, you stand out. So we clearly weren't made for comfort. And that's why we've been given Holy Spirit as a comforter. And complacency, it can be this really dangerous byproduct of comfort. And we have to reject it. And if we're serious about seeing our nations restored, and I know you are, because if you're listening to this podcast all the way to this point, I know that you want to see your nation restored. In order to see that happen, there has to be an advancement in our own lives. And that only comes by having that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And if you don't think that's enough, then you're going to miss out on the greatest adventure of your life and all the people that you're meant to reach and impact. And I know saving and restoring a nation is possible. And we can look even to Nehemiah, which I actually love the book of Nehemiah. I love studying it because even after Jerusalem had fallen, Nehemiah, he was this king's cupbearer. He had favor with him. And because he had favor with him, he was able to return to Jerusalem, which had been under siege and was destroyed. The, the walls were torn down and the gates of the city were burnt. But what did Nehemiah do? He called for the city to be rebuilt. And it wasn't, when I really studied this out, it fascinated me because every time I read through Nehemiah previous to when I really studied it out, 
I always thought it was the government that took initiative to actually like, yes, let's rebuild the, the city walls. But no, you know what actually happened? It was actually the families. When the walls fell in Jerusalem, there was terraces attached to homes that were butting right up against the wall of Jerusalem. So when the walls fell, parts of families' homes fell as well. So you know who actually rebuilt the wall? It was actually families who took initiative for their own portion of the wall where their own home was. They actually had to come together as one unit and rebuild for the defense of their nation. To restore a nation, it has to start with a family. And if you go further in the book of Nehemiah, you'll start to read how there was a concern that people were coming into Jerusalem to try and destroy the efforts of these families rebuilding the wall. So what did Nehemiah do? He armed every single member of the families in Jerusalem. And that speaks even here and now. We can try in our own efforts to rebuild the walls of our home per se in order to defend our nation. If you as a husband and a wife are not armed with the word of God and you don't arm your children, you will fall prey to those who seek your destruction. I don't even believe we have to get to the point of the walls falling down as in Jerusalem happened or with regards to the Roman Empire. I don't actually believe that we have to reach the point of absolute destruction. I know that it's possible. One, if we humble ourselves before God individually, if we are leading our families as Christ leads us and we set our priorities straight, then we will see nations change. Because Canada is not finished. Europe still has an assignment. And America is not done. America is not dead. I hate it when people say any nation is dead. God can breathe life into anything that's dead or anything that even seems like a hopeless situation. I think that's a, a point that we should be excited about. Out of anyone throughout all of time, God wanted you and me alive at this point in time. And we're called to take territory, not to abandon our posts. Not to say that the nation's dead, so who cares? Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No. Know this, that if you're in Canada, Russia, it, it doesn't matter where you are. Regardless of the nation you're in, if you're there, God has a purpose for you in that nation. And therefore, he's not finished with your country. So is America the next Roman Empire? I don't think so. Because I believe based upon what we're seeing, the restoration is coming. And I, for one, am really excited to be a part of it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Matea Murda podcast. You can support the podcast over on Cash App and PayPal at Matea Murda. Make sure to follow the podcast at the Matea Murda podcast over on Instagram, and we will see you next week.